Hello, I'm Mike Montague, and this is the Who Moves You podcast. The month of July has seen quite a bit of intense thunderstorm activity. The temperatures have been high for most of the month, and the conditions just right for the storm cells that have been popping up and taking us from sunshine to torrential downpours that have caught many of us by surprise. On July 15th at 2.30 in the afternoon, a tornado passed along the southmost edge of Barrie, Ontario, moving from west to east through residential neighbourhoods and gaining strength as it progressed. Just 15 minutes after it had hit, I arrived at the scene and took a drive through some of the neighbourhoods that received the worst damage. My dash cam picked up what I was seeing and I have since posted that footage to YouTube. That was the second time in my life that I have been on the scene just moments after a tornado has struck. The first time was on Friday, May 30th, 1985, when an even more devastating tornado struck Barrie. Certain dates stay in your memory indefinitely, and that was one of them. The latest tornado was given an F2 rating. The one in 1985, I believe, was given an F5 rating, and its damage was more severe and spread over a much wider path as it moved from west to east through an industrial area along Highway 400, It then crossed over the highway, taking out horse barns and buildings at the Barrie Raceway, and then worked its way through Allendale neighborhoods and on to Manette's Point and then out over the lake. Trees, utility poles, and anything else in its path were taken out. Eight people were killed in a few short but unforgettable minutes that day. Miraculously, no one was killed in the recent July 15th tornado. The damage from a tornado, when you see it up close, is hard to process in the moment. Objects we take for granted to be stationary and immovable, they're uprooted and tossed around like toys. Nothing is where it should be and you get a very real sense of just how fragile everything becomes when winds reach over 200 kilometers per hour. The visuals come at you faster than you can process them. And the people, people everywhere, standing in place, many holding their pets, in shock as they look at their homes and they look at their neighbors' homes, trying to come to terms with what's in front of them. Some looking through the debris, hoping to salvage a few personal effects that may have been left among the carnage. It is a surreal and emotionally charged event to witness. Again, thankfully, everyone came through this one alive. Most of us had little or no warning this July 15th. The early warning alert system on the cellular networks did put a tornado warning out, but it was useless as it came not before, but as people were emerging from their their homes moments after they were hit and about five minutes after the tornado first touched down west of the highway, west of Highway 400, that is, and a few kilometers from neighborhoods east of Young Street where the worst damage was done. A warning system can and does save lives when that warning comes ahead of the tornado at least. We need to improve on this system that we have evidently or maybe on the procedures around the system. If those responsible for monitoring the weather data and putting out the warning were waiting until they were absolutely certain before they put an alert out on July 15th, all I would say is it's probably better to get it wrong 10 times even by putting it out there early than it is to be late just the one time for the sake of certainty. It is luck alone, nothing more, that there were no fatalities, and those who were injured might have avoided injury if they had even a moment's warning ahead to seek shelter. We think of our homes as our safe space, but in the path of a tornado, there is no telling what the outcome will be. Let's jump back into the classroom for a minute and find out a little about why tornadoes happen here and why they are so devastating to buildings when they do appear. 
Warm air masses move up from the south and southwest through the summer months, and when they reach south and south-central Ontario, they often converge with cooler, moist air coming off the Great Lakes. When they collide, there is turbulence as the warmer air masses push up over the cooler, moist air masses, resulting in storm front formation, and occasionally, with the right mix of ingredients, a tornado is formed. As you move to the center of a tornado, air pressure levels drop to extremely low levels. The winds are created as higher pressure air moves to fill the low pressure void at the center where warmer air is quickly rising hundreds even even thousands of feet into the atmosphere. Air is sucked in from all directions, and the Coriolis effect, the same force that causes water to spin as it escapes down a drain, this causes the quickly rising air to rotate into a vortex. Everything in a tornado's proximity gets battered by the rushing and spinning winds. And when the tornado passes directly over a house or a building or even a car, the higher pressure air contained inside wants to escape towards the lower pressure at the center of the tornado. And the force will literally cause windows and doors, the weakest components of a home shell, to explode. The next weakest component of a home is the bond between the roof and the walls. Roofs are held in place primarily by gravity and a few nails. They are pushed upwards by the high pressure force inside, or you could say they are pulled upwards by the lower pressure suction above the home. Once space opens up between a lifted roof and the rest of the house, the winds get in underneath and finish the job, pushing the now unfastened roof into the air and into the direction of the wind. Other than protect you from the elements, the roof of your home also has a job of holding the walls in place. And once it's lifted from the house, the winds can then knock them over like dominoes. Metal straps, sometimes called hurricane straps, can further fasten roof joints to the upper frame of the walls where current building codes only require three nails per contact point right now. Hurricane straps are not a code requirement in Ontario. For a few hundred dollars more on the cost of building, a home could have a better chance against tornadoes or other extreme wind scenarios. My ward counsellor Natalie Harris became an overnight YouTube sensation featured on news stories across the country after recording cell phone video of her and her son emerging from their basement a minute after the tornado passed directly over the family home. Watching the video she posted, you see debris scattered everywhere as she emerges, and the most chilling image is when she pointed her cell phone camera up the stairs to the second floor, and instead of seeing a ceiling, you saw open sky. As she stepped out of her front door, it looked like a bomb had gone off on her street. Homes all around her were missing roofs and walls, trees were gone, and the two-story home next door to her was now a one-story home with the main floor totally crushed under the second. Her Jeep was blown from her driveway onto the street and in its place was a washing machine and a dryer lying on their sides amongst wood, household items and debris. Every inch of every surface had dirt and bits of insulation sticking onto it and all of this happened in the span of 20 to 30 seconds. Councillor Harris has wasted no time in drafting a motion that would see Barrie and the province update the Provincial Building Code to require hurricane straps on all new-built homes and for the municipality to offer rebates to existing homeowners who retrofit their homes to increase their resistance to storms. The cost to fit new homes with hurricane straps, again, is less than $200. I hope that she is successful with this, and I think it is a bill that is going to have a good chance of passing. Most building code revisions since the original building code was written in Ontario have been prompted by a tragedy. So this is definitely that moment to push for this. 
I think it would also be in the best financial interest of insurance companies to offer reduced rates to homeowners who retrofit their homes with severe weather-related elements. If we are to be completely honest about it, the minimum structural requirements as per the Ontario Building Code, this is the standard that most, if not all, homes are built through. Very few builders of subdivision homes build beyond this standard. One Barry city manager said, it is unreasonable to expect a roof to resist tornado strength winds and resulting forces and that our local home builders do excellent work. An official representative and spokesperson for a city's building inspection department absolutely should not be making blanket statements to the media extolling the virtues of local home builders, particularly ahead of the many investigations yet to be completed. The optics of such a statement coming at a city hall before we have full details is not good. There are good home builders and there are bad ones in every community and homes today are more fragile than homes built two to three generations ago. When I saw homes folded like paper that afternoon, I couldn't help thinking of how they would have fared better if they had been built to the standards of 100 years ago. And if more effort and investment had been made in fastening them together when they were originally built. What scares the hell out of me is that Ontario changed the building code seven years ago that restricted wood frame structures to four stories in height. They raised that to six stories. What happens to a six-story wood frame building in the path of an F2 or stronger tornado? I hope we never have to find out. Reports from engineers and inspectors at the scene of the Southbury tornado have reported seeing roofs detached from homes that had trusses that were never even nailed in place. Basically, the only thing holding them in place up until that day was the weight of the roof itself. This is a crime of incompetence, not just on the hands of builders involved, but doubly so on the city inspectors who passed these homes, if this is the case. I have witnessed final inspections of homes being conducted. I've seen municipal inspectors come onto a new home build and simply ask the builders working there on the site if the work that is being done is being done to code. They point up at the roof and ask rather than getting up on a ladder and looking to see for themselves if the work is being done to code. These things cannot be glossed over. If the reports coming back around some of the construction work on homes damaged by this tornado are in fact accurate, then heads should roll from the builder to the inspectors themselves and right on up the chain of command. Lives depend on these people getting it right and doing their jobs with the highest degree of commitment. All of that said, given our colder climate, our homes, for the most part, are still built stronger than most homes in the United States' warmer climates, and that likely contributes to our survivability rate. The realtor in me has wondered in recent days how this event will impact the real estate industry locally. Firstly, it left a number of families looking to rent while their homes are being repaired and rebuilt. Some of those repairs and rebuilds are going to take a year or longer. This is at a time of extremely low rental inventory in Barrie, where rental rates are already some of the highest in the country. Will the tornado deter people from wanting to buy here out of fear or concern? I expect a small percentage, but probably a very small percentage, may decide not to move here for that reason, but I doubt the numbers would be enough to change the overall demand for Barry real estate or have any impact on home prices going forward. On the other hand, it will likely drive up the demand and in turn the costs of hiring trades to do our home renovations for a while. 
We see roughly 80 tornadoes each year in Canada. Most are F2 or weaker, and fewer than 3% are ever above that level of intensity. Around 17 of them occur right here in Ontario and in Quebec, and Barrie has seen three in the past 50 years. While the number of tornadoes reported has increased in the past few decades, the actual number of tornadoes occurring in Ontario each year has remained pretty consistent. We have better technology today for spotting tornadoes where and whenever they occur. We have a growing and spreading population with more and more homes and residential developments popping up all over the map, along with far more eyeballs out there to spot them when they happen, including literally thousands of amateur tornado watchers and chasers who watch every blip on the Doppler radar for that next weather event. And they and everyone else on social media, along with the constantly expanding news media, make sure we know about them. So though we hear more about tornadoes today than when we may have when we were kids, in reality, the actual numbers have remained pretty consistent. Even still, environmental experts have been predicting for some time that we can expect weather events to become more severe and to see them happening more frequently as our climate patterns evolve. I'm definitely impressed at our emergency services in Barrie. In the moments right after the tornado and in the days since they have been on top of this like you wouldn't believe, our local leaders have been actively assisting and keeping the public, especially those impacted, informed. And the community of Barrie wasted no time in volunteering and donating food and clothing, offering shelter and donating their time for the massive cleanup efforts. I hope the lessons learned from July 15 are put into practice and we become more prepared and our homes more resilient. Given Barrie and Simcoe County's location on the map in what is considered a tornado prone zone and in light of how storms are becoming more severe and frequent with each passing year, odds are there will be days like July 15th in the future. Thank you for listening to this Who Moves You podcast. I'm Mike Montague, realtor with Remax Crosstown Realty, serving Barry and all of South Central Ontario. Thanks for listening.